In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Many years ago now, when we were living in Southern California, we were there, I remember over uh, on a 4th of July, we were getting ready to do something as a family, but there started to be reports on the radio about a preacher who was predicting the end of the world. And it had a very particular meaning for those in Southern California because he said that that great San Andreas Fault that runs from Bakersfield all the way up, I think, through San Francisco was going to have a tremendous earthquake and everybody west of the fault was going to fall into the ocean. And this, this got a lot of play in the press. And I think partly because... The press thought, what a weird story. You know, we can throw this in for some added uh, interest on the part of others. So it really started to build. And I recall that uh, the 4th of July, in fact, came and went and there was no earthquake. But one of the things that happened was that there was a run on flotation devices in Southern California. (laughs) They even ran out of pool toys. People were so desperate. Well, it's Southern California, after all. (laughs) Some of you know that a long-awaited movie, 2012, came out on Friday the 13th, this past Friday. That's another example of those who have all kinds of uh, interest in conspiracy theories and the possibility for the end of the world. That one based on the Mayan calendar, which, uh, after recording 5,000-plus years of days, says that the world uh, there's no well there's no there's no more calendar after uh, December 21st 2012 so there's been a tremendous amount of speculation about that as well that the world will be coming to an end and the blogosphere and the forums on the internet are full of all kinds of speculation about conspiracy well I think that it's sometimes hard for those of us who live a different kind of life to understand how can people get all wrapped up in this sort of thing. And part of it, in truth, comes from the kind of apocalyptic literature that we heard this morning from the Gospel of John. Hear what uh, Jesus says in that Gospel. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. It's easy to understand how those who are inclined to uh, be alarmed by such things, and especially those religious who perhaps have been preached to about the end of the days, could get very concerned when they look around and they see wars upon wars and rumors of wars. And we know of famine. And we know of earthquake, a lot of earthquakes, especially in the last few years, perhaps contributing to the all the concern about 2012. But this section of Mark is referred to as the little apocalypse. And apocalyptic literature is is difficult for us to understand. But I think we need to be clear about it, that it, it has at its heart two things that we need to keep in mind. The first is that it is. Uh, It is a call to be awake, to be alert. It's not unlike when the alarm went off at five this morning. You know, we wake up and I wonder, where am I? What time is it? I don't usually get up at five. (laughs) And then the feet hit the cold floor. It's that sudden sense that I'm I'm here. I need to be alert. I need to know the situation. 
So that's one aspect of apocalyptic uh, literature in scripture. But another aspect of it is that it is not so much about the end is near, but that God is near. It is a reminder that certain things are going to happen and God will be present in a way that is very special. And, and ultimately, in much of the scripture, talking about the second coming of Christ, the return of the Messiah. If you could put yourself in the, in the place of those who would have heard this gospel in the community of Mark in the first century. And we're not entirely sure whether they heard these things before the temple fell in 70 A.D. or if it was after that, looking back on that event. But they certainly were under persecution. They were people who understood what it was to live under the boot of the Roman Empire. And you can see within it some encouragement to those who lived that way. Because if they looked upon those stones of the temple and hearing Jesus say that these stones, this temple, these great buildings will fall and there will not be one stone upon another, that in it they could find some encouragement that perhaps if that could happen to that great building, which was considered one of the most beautiful buildings in the world at that time, if it could happen to that building, it could happen to the Roman Empire. And I think within it we see the possibility for people to have hope there and to realize they needed to be alert. They needed to be conscious of what was happening around them. I think in that first century, there was also the sense in that community of Mark that they knew that the Messiah had come once. So it was not at all hard for them to imagine that the Messiah might come a second time. And so we hear these, these uh, predictions of the coming, the second coming of the Christ. But what might we see in this for ourselves? I think that there is a message for us in this apocalyptic literature. This passage occurs during what we call Holy Week, the week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And early in that week, Jesus went into the temple and overthrew the money, the tables of the money changers. And by doing so, he interrupted that sacrificial process going on at the temple and also to a certain degree pointed to the uh, the, the oppressive economic situation that the temple had uh, imposed upon the people. And then just before this passage, we hear Jesus pointing out the uh, widow who puts her last two coins into the temple treasury, perhaps again raising, as Nick talked about last week, this, the irony of this enormous, beautiful structure and the entire structure of that religion. And it's not Judaism, but it's, it's just as I would say that Christianity is a good thing, but sometimes the human institution can be evil. And in the same way, I think Jesus saw Judaism, the, the religion of his of his life, his family as a good thing. But seeing the structures and all of the human institution that had grown up around it as siphoning off and killing those who w believed in it and relied on it. And you remember that at one point he talks about the temple authorities as those who devour widows houses. Jesus, I think, was pretty clear that human institutions were not to be relied on. And I think that that's a message from this apocalyptic literature to us as well. 
no matter how grand, no matter how beautiful, no matter how powerful, it too would come to an end. I think for us as Americans, uh, I think we are starting to realize that there are limits to our power even in the world. And I think it's important for us to realize that we are a part of human institutions, that if we rely on them only, we are going to be disappointed. The message of apocalyptic literature, I believe, is saying the kingdoms of this world shall pass, but the kingdom of God is forever and that God's faithfulness endures forever. Well, you might ask, where do we find hope in passages such as this? As I was preparing for the men's retreat that I spoke about in another sermon uh, earlier in the fall, uh, one of the things that I, I turned to was a book by Martin Marty and his son, Micah. Martin Marty is a Lutheran minister, now retired from professorship at the University of Chicago, where he was a professor of uh, the uh, sociology of religion, a brilliant man uh, and a prolific writer and a wonderful pastor. He and his son uh, put together this book called The Promise of Winter. Uh, in it, Martin reflects on some of the Psalms on the left hand page and over on the right hand page are black and white photos that were taken by his son to be in juxtaposition with the reflections of his father. It's a wonderful collection. In this book, winter is used as a metaphor for those times in our lives when the world we live in seems dead or dying. It's sometimes called the winter of the soul. And it's those times in our ordinary life where we experience the disappointment of losing a job, the disappointment of failure of family or friends, the setbacks, the frustrations, the times of true discouragement and self-doubt, times when we go through difficult times of, uh, of ill health. We could go on and on. We know about those winters. And especially for those who suffer from depression, there is a special kind of the winter of the soul. And sometimes that winter is long and it is hard. And Martin Marty says that we often want to counter those times with hopes for an early spring. And I thought, uh, you know, how many times living in South Dakota did we hope for an early spring? And I know we do here as well. It's a part of who we are to hope for an early spring. But he says that we need to be cautious because he said we need to realize that there is there is hope in winter and there is a promise to it. Marty writes this to employ spring as the metaphor for whatever improves that condition would be to suggest that winter itself has no promise. Yet it does. The truth is that all of us. All of us need to remember that the winters will come our way. We cannot avoid it. It is a part of human existence. And for some of us, those winters will be very, very difficult. But the other thing we must always remember is that God is with us in the winters. Sometimes we can't feel the presence of God at all. It seems that God is as far away as God could possibly be. I've talked with people who suffer from deep depression and there's no sense of God being anywhere near. 
But it is only in looking back that we see that God truly was there. And God is there in many, many ways. Sometimes with the very gentle hand of a physician and the wisdom that that person brings to our situation. This morning at, at, our, uh, at the forum, we heard a very moving uh, description of how the healing prayer team has developed over the years. And uh, some of the members talked about their experience in healing prayer. That, too, can be a way that God is present with us in our winters. The prayer of a friend, the touch of a friend, someone bringing a meal, someone caring enough to be in touch. God is with us in the winters of our lives. I think that we need to hold on to that because like those Christians in the first century who lived under persecution and for whom I think the days must have been terribly long and they must have wondered, can we ever get through this? Is it possible for us to hold on to our faith in the midst of all of this? They had the encouragement of this apocalyptic literature saying that there will be an end to this, that the one who cares and loves you will return to you and that the spirit of God is present with you through it all. Martin Marty ends one of his meditations with this prayer, and may it be our prayer this morning as well. Gracious God, leave us never without a sense that we can reach you. That even in the depths of life, you are there to listen and to offer promise and to offer help. Amen.